0: Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. Welcome to a new episode of TV Gold. It's another special episode this week. We're going to be talking about Bay of Fires. Joining Andrew and myself, James Manning, is the star of Bay of Fires and a co-creator, Marta Dusseldorf. Welcome, Marta.
1: Thank you, James and Andrew. Lovely to be here.
0: Let's start off by um, talking a little bit about how you got involved in this project. I mentioned you're a co-creator, along with, I think, Andrew Knight and Max Dan. Tell us how you came to Bay of Fires.
1: Well, I moved to Tasmania a little over five years ago now, and I was a bit of a FIFO, which means fly in, fly out. I was a reluctant Tasmanian resident, to say the least, just because I had to spend so much time on the mainland, I was still shooting Place to Call Home, and I think we did another Jack Irish. Uh, anyway, then the pandemic hit, as we all know and remember. We were locked in, borders shut. So Ben and I, my husband and I, created Archipelago Productions, which we made into mainly a theatre company then because we were still open within the state. So, we did several productions and uh, played to sold out audiences, over 3,000 people. So, we, um, you know, there was still a great appetite for theatre here and live performance. So, that was wonderful. And in the meantime, I rang Sir Andrew Knight and I said, I don't think you'd be in a bunker in Cuba working up a, a show around uh, Gorbachev. Are you in Melbourne? And he said, Yeah. So, I said, Well, look, I think I'm living in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I think there's a story to be told here about small communities and what it's like to be thrown out of your life and, and placed somewhere else. What, who, who do you become? And, uh, I can tell you some stuff about Tasmanians that I think is really wonderful. Uh, do you want to create a show together over Zoom? Of course. And keep ourselves amused, basically. And he said, oh, yes, I'd love that. He told me later he didn't mean it at all. He was just trying to get me off the phone. (laughs) Um, But I'm fairly persistent, if anyone knows me. And I kept ringing him and throwing him ideas and articles. And because Ben grew up here, he'd tell me these stories and I'd just write them down and send them to him. Eventually, he rang me back. And he said, all right, then let's, let's have a think. What could we do? And so we started talking pretty soon. He folded in Max Dan, who he wrote Spotswood with back in the day and has worked on other various scripts with him. So he lives in the North of Taz in the forest, in a log cabin. And when I first met him, he had a beanie on and you could barely see him. He had this globe light behind his head and looked slightly like a serial killer. He won't mind me saying that because I've told him that many times. And um, he's he's very relaxed and very calm and very worldly. And he's written children's books most of his life, so his child voice is is totally unique and and beautiful. So together we we drilled up the woman first, being uh, Stella, and then I uh, asked for some children. And so we created Iris and Otis and they're based on my children. I have two girls, um, Iris and Otis is a girl and a boy. And then we talked about what it was like to be thrown out of our life uh, with the pandemic and and dumped in this new reality. And also we talked about our favorite shows, what we liked about them and why, and who you might become. If you were to become the thing you should have been all along. And so those three and the Tasmania. And then during um, one of our shows that we did, Ben and I, Venus and Adonis, which Shakespeare wrote during the plague. He was stuck in his apartment, if you want to call it that now, in a room. And he was looking out the window and everyone was dying of the plague. And he wrote Venus and Adonis, which was a a love story, of people who can't touch. So that was really a, a great discovery for us. Anyway, we toured it up to the north of the state and um, hilariously I was Venus and Ben was Adonis. We always thought that was funny because as if, but anyway. Um, and on our way back down to Hobart, Ben said to me, he'd heard us Zooming and talking about the show and what it might be. He said, I think I know where this show is set. I said, oh, yeah. He said, do you know Zion? I said, no, never heard of it. And he drove me to this little town on the west coast of Tasmania and we drove into the main road and it just took my breath away, guys. Like, it is a western It was a gold mining town back in the day. It had 3,000 people in it. It was a hub. And they built this Art Deco Theatre called the Gaiety Theatre. It had a pub on the other side and all these shops. And it was completely deserted uh, now. So I walked into the information space (laughs) and uh, Phil Vickers, the mayor, was there. Hello. I said, hello. Hello. He said, I'm the mayor. I said, yes, you are. listen, I. this is just, it's like gold, literally, uh, for this show I'm creating. Is there any way that you could imagine you could give us access to this um, incredible street uh, for 16 weeks next winter? And he went, yeah, no problem. You let me know how I can help and we will make it happen. <laughs> and uh, so I took some photos and video and came home, rang Andrew, and I said, I know where where Mystery Bay is, and I showed him. And the rest is on screen for you on the ABC, July 16th at 8.30.
2: Does your relationship with Andrew Knight date back to Jack Irish and what did you decide to do to avoid the cliche of another Australian small town drama? And especially bearing in mind that Andrew Knight's probably greatest success in TV was sea change, you know, the the small town drama that so many people tried to copy in the years afterwards.
1: What did you do to avoid the cliches? We talked about them all the time. So uh, any time we'd seen it or it was near sea change, I watched sea change for the first time. Don't tell him. <laughs> um, and uh, he pitched in a, a scene or we'd talk about a scene. I go, I think that's in sea change. And he go, no, no. I go, yeah, episode of any, oh, right. Yeah, no, look, I never said I was original. That's what yeah. Okay. I mean, he's just got the the finest sense of humor, Andrew, and such an ability to look and laugh at himself, as do I. And that's why we get along quite well. He said to me, Mart, you're very funny, and we just don't see it on screen. You know you're not given those roles. And on stage, I, I love clowning. It's my favorite thing. And, and in a clown, you fail all the time and you got to pick yourself up and put your red nose back on and have another stab at it. So he said, I really want to show you're funny. And, but I said to him, I want this to be as dark as Ozark and Fargo. So we smashed it together and with Max, who has a very dark sensibility as well. I think we, we checked each other. Is the answer to your question? Mm-hmm. We checked each other, so any time one of us got lazy or tried to slip in a kind of cliche, uh, the other one of us would go, "Nope, that's a cliche. Nope, seen it. Uh, how do we? How do we push it outside of the realm of what we know and into the realm of uh, imagination?" So we really were quite rigorous and. We developed the pilot by ourselves um, because I got a little bit of money from Screen Tasmania and just the three of us worked it up. And then we pitched it into ABC. So uh, sorry, there's some drilling noise, but I'll just have to keep going if that's all right. Tell Can't me. Can't
2: hear it. Can't
1: hear it. Wonderful. Um, and we pitched it in fully formed, like we had, uh, we'd found the key to it, which is really only really revealed in Ep 5 which is my favourite type of series where they keep you guessing and they keep you entertained, and hopefully they horrify you a bit and you fall in love with one of the characters. So we've got this amazing ensemble, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment, and and we just wanted everyone to have something.
0: Let, let's go to that ensemble that you just mentioned then. I mean, um, it's a, a fascinating cast. Um were there challenges about getting them all to Tassie for that period of time? Did that add to the costs? And then talk to me about Toby Leonard Moore. I'm a massive Billions fan, so it's just great seeing him um, show up in some local productions.
1: Yeah, well, firstly, um, before I get into the producer hat side of things, uh, it was a real delight because Andrew writes for actors. He loves actors. And I learned that through Jack Irish, mm. where he would find someone's strength and tone and he would write to it and build on it and, and they would inspire him season on season. And so certainly for my character in that, I got better and better storylines outside of being Jack's romance. And suddenly I'm off to Manila and India and you know, doing all this amazing work um, on the field as the journalist. And so in this we curated the cast together and we wrote the role for Rachel House who plays Irini and uh, she's a mate of mine and I'd met her on a film and then I did Stateless with her and I, said, Ra- I rang her, I said, Rachel, we're writing this role, I hope you like it because no one else in mind, you know. And I remember I sent it to her and she rang me and said, that has to be one of the funniest scripts I've read in years. But also I really care. Like it's got drive and danger and energy. And so she jumped on. And then we thought deeply about Frankie, who Kerry Fox plays. Mm -hmm. And again, we had someone else in mind for that. And then as we wrote it, we realized we needed a sort of more mature, daring, like dark, but light. Soul. So we sent that to Kerry and she immediately said yes. Cause I knew she'd never played that tone before. And then Jeremiah equally, uh, we went through lots of ideas and, you know, people try and have you attach people because of their name, not because they're right for the role. And then I stumbled across Toby and I thought, ooh, anyway, we had a, a zoom with him just to sort of see where he was at. And he revealed he grew up in Tasmania. <laughs> I said what? And he said, "Yeah, I'm a Tassie boy." I said, "You're kidding." So he said, "Oh, I know these people. I know these people that you are that you've written the community, the the he said and you've got it bang on. This is how people, you know, deal with each other. So that was a no-brainer, and it was beautiful for him to come home, you know. Uh and it fits with the story. I mean, when we were traveling overseas at C21 recently, the sale international sales market, they're all saying it's about local for local. We want authentic stories with local storytellers telling your story, and that is what will resonate around the world. So I thought, oh, tick, tick, tick. And then the others that you'll see, and we wrote those roles, some in mind and others brought more to us than we could have well, everyone brought more than we could have possibly hoped for. Um, so yeah, and what was beautiful was they all said yes, straight away. Pam, Ray, Ros Hammond, Bob Franklin. And then we uh, brought in some new faces in Imi Medela, Ava Karafelidis, and uh, they play my kids. And then there's some great newcomers in the other roles as well. So yes, look, third wave of COVID, producer hat on now um the costs were exorbitant and the airlines just pumped it right up so we were in shock uh melbourne to devonport $1000 one way and what are you going to do about it
0: wow.
1: um and because we had to shift the schedule a lot it uh became a little bit sticky but i have to say there was a lot of goodwill at the time you know with the abc and Everyone knew what was happening and just to be able to make it was uh, in itself kind of extraordinary at that time. And we were on the west coast of Tassie, so we're in the middle of nowhere. And everyone just said, yeah, well, let's make it happen, we're going to make this work. So in the end, we had an overage, uh, not very much, though. We brought that down uh, and the ABC said, we completely understand. And you're not only that, good job, you did a good job. And I remember on the last day when we wrapped and we were driving away and I was sort of in, I don't know, some sort of form of catatonia. (laughs) uh, It was nighttime. We'd done a night shoot to finish, of course, because why wouldn't you? (laughs) And I thought, what am I going to remember more than anything else? What? What is it, Mart? Think what it could be. And I thought, no one got hurt.
2: You, uh, just mentioned Ozark and Fargo as a, as possible vibe. But I got to say to you that I got a vibe in this show of Twin Peaks with the darkness of this small town. Um, and, and I wondered because this is a show that isn't just a dark show. There is this comedy there and i've never seen you play a character like this because you've so often played characters that are so poised and yet now you're playing someone as a hot mess to provide that comedy to offset the darkness is that right
1: yeah and i there is a third reference uh that we use is Shit's creek that's our final ingredient um uh, yeah. So, yeah, I really did want to shake off that poised, um, woman who I love dearly. You know, I loved all those roles I played, Sarah and Janet and Linda. And, um, yeah, so that was important to me. I mean, if you're going to co-create, uh, I guess a story, but also a role, you need to look at what people unexpecting, but also what you enjoy doing, you know, you really want to have a good time when you work on something for over two years. And I did, and I took some risks and I'm sure I fell over more than a hundred thousand times, but I just really felt like I needed to shake it off. I'm 50 now fellas. So it's time. <laughs> um, You've seen, you've got a
0: couple of very talented directors. I think they, they yeah. each seem to have filmed, um, directed half, um, Natalie Bailey and must be one of the busiest person, people in the Australian screen industry, Wayne Blair.
1: Yeah, I know. What a delight. It was, um, I watched some of Natalie's work. I didn't know her work at all. And I watched some of her work and I was like, ooh, great tone, great, great comedy, great sort of poised um cameras and so on. So we had a meet meet with her in Melbourne, Andrew and I, and it was just delightful. And I, I pretty much begged her to come on. Um and then weirdly, I presented at the actors and everything went wrong on stage. The uh, they should threw up the wrong nomination package, the lights went down. It was like being in Bay of Fires. And I was standing on the stage and I'm a theater monster Basically first. So I didn't, I couldn't stop the show. I didn't know how to do it because there's an audience there. There was about 300 people there. So I just started cracking jokes while they fixed everything around me, got some beautiful laughs and an applause for Brian Walsh, which I loved. And I saw Natalie Bailey uh, afterwards and she said, you're very funny. (laughs) And I said, well, I can be. And she said, I would love to work with you. And she said yes the next day. So there was this lovely synergy to this chaos and sort of moment of of disaster in my mind. Um, and Mr. Wayne Blair, I have always loved that man. I've known him for a very long time, since he was a bubba. So we grew up together and I've just watched him go from strength to strength. And he came in for the last four eps. And by then we were all a little bit broken because it was quite cold and we'd had COVID rip through us and we were on the West Coast, uh, you know, loving it and a real carny vibe and everyone was up. But we needed Wayne to then come in and take over and really he plants his feet on the ground and he's a very generous, caring director and, uh, just warmed us all up, I suppose, from the inside. He's got a good soul, that man, and he just spread the love and he knew the story backwards and took some risks. Uh, I mean, for he, his part of the story is where we really open it right out and everyone knows what's going on. So you'll find that the, the scenes are set much wider and we really, as Stella understands exactly where she is, the lens opens up. So both delightful and did exactly what I what I'd hoped they would do and more.
2: Is Bay of Fires the final TV role for the great Tony Barry, and uh, who sadly passed away last December and also recently? You just uh, uh, talked to TV Tonight about Judy Farr, who also just passed, and revealed that that during A Place to Call Home she had had Bell's palsy, which. I had mistakenly put down to, I thought she had had a stroke, which is why she'd had that facial disfiguration. But I was always so uh, in awe of her bravery to continue to play Aunt Peg in A Place to Call Home. And, of course, Tony Barry had his difficulties too. So, yeah, what can you tell me about uh, working with him on his last role? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think we were all very aware that – It might be his last role, which was emotional to work with him, knowing that each day. I mean, we weren't sure necessarily if he would even make it through the shoot, you know, but, but what we, but we always checked in with him. He had a carer with him full time, of course. And he was always so positive. I can't believe it, Andrew. Like he would come on, be cracking jokes he would, you know, he'd get his transfusion and he'd be right up and telling, you know, stories and fighting for the environment and giving everyone these beautiful wooden whale tales that he had, which was about, you know, save the whales. And we'd yarn, like he'd sit in the car when we did that car scene. I mean, that takes all day. And he's just this and that and chatting and chatting and, uh, yeah. He just, he always had a, a spirit of collaboration and fun and he was really cheeky and I watched, it was hard to edit that because he passed by then and we'd all get really quiet in the room and, and reverential and, and, uh, you know, grieve. Um, But I remember one night we had a birthday party for Kerry and it was one of the nights I went out because I really didn't want to get COVID. So I was very insular because if I got COVID, the whole thing shut down. Pretty much everyone else had had COVID. So I came out for Kerry's birthday and he rocked in in his wheelchair and had his pool cue, you know, under his arm and he was smashing everyone on the pool table. Like he was just winning and i had a couple of games with him and then i had uh oh for the rap present that's right he left it in my trailer and it was a pool cue that you could you know um it was in half and you could screw it together so i still have that up in queenstown cause we have a place up there and uh yeah fond memories and what a beautiful performance beautiful yeah stunning um yeah it was it was it was emotional when we without giving anything away i won't give anything away
0: marta but bearing that in mind i want to ask you a little bit about the plot um uh, there's lots of reasons to keep watching bay of fires after you start for me a couple of the things was there's that that scene at the very start a, a flashback to politicians in canberra looking at a map and and you're sort of wondering, well, what what exactly is going on? And I presume I've seen two episodes. I'm presuming that's explained further on. That comes up, and then again, well, why are these people after Annika Van Cleef? And so you want that's also you know that you you want to find out what's happening there. So there's quite a lot of plot that unravels in that first maybe the first two episodes. What I'm wondering is. As a producer and the actor, do you look at it differently, as opposed to if you were just a hired hand, if you like, playing a role? Do you do you wonder how audiences are going to react a little more if you're a producer?
1: I think so. I mean, certainly, uh, what I promised to Andrew and Max was that they would have full creative control. Um, I said to them, and that's one of the reasons we went to the ABC because we knew that they would trust us and they did. Um, Sally Riley basically let us do whatever we wanted in the first instance and then she'd come in and go, have you thought about this and that and this? Because she's got a great story brain. And Lou Smith, who came on from the ABC equally, she was a producer in her own right and we were one of her first projects um, when she joined the ABC. So, she sat with us as a producer saying, Go however you want to go and then we'll pull it back if we have to for budget re- reasons or. I mean, my responsibility first and foremost is to the audience. Always. Mm. Uh, it's why I do it. I don't do it for myself. I, especially in the theatre, I mean, they're sitting there. So I always imagine you sitting at, your, you know, at home in your lounge room. We've just had our world premiere at the Sydney Film Festival, which was such a privilege and a delight to show Ep 1 and 2 on the big screen, packed house, sold out months before Sydney Film Festival. And one of the festival people pulled me aside and said, we just want to say that the fact that your show sold out showed us the hunger for Australian stories and Australian television. So thank you, because we weren't sure we were going to do box sets this year. And the response has been, yeah, but I digress. Um, so I think my responsibility is always to the audience. So whenever I take a role, I want people to watch that scene because they can't turn away, no matter what I'm doing. So always try beginning, middle and an end to find a journey within each scene and within the whole arc. I remember when I first got my first lead uh, in Janet King, when they did the spinoff, which was such blew my mind that that would happen. And I rang uh, Kate Blanchett, who's a really dear friend of mine. And I said to her, how do you be a lead? <laughs> what What's the trick? And she said, the beauty of it is you can be different people you can be different things to different people. We are never the same with any person that we are with in our life. So you get to show all the colors of the rainbow. So, um, yeah, they're the things that I that I insist on, that no character starts in the scene as they end and that the arc also has that similar uh, change. But Andrew also kept saying during it, I don't want to write a plot. I want to write a group of really interesting, fabulous people and the plot is there to keep, you know, us, us wanting it, but we need the audience to fall in love with people. And that's only if they're complex and, and, you know, unexpected. So it's the two things together.
2: Several years ago, I did actually spend four days in Queenstown considering buying the cinema there because it's the most incredible building. But I, you know, I was there for the weekend and th- there was nobody in the town and I just couldn't figure out how it would work how it would be feasible. It didn't seem like there was a population base there. But since then, I've watched all of these TV productions come out of Tasmania and I've watched all of these actors like yourself. I actually didn't realise till this podcast that you were based in Tasmania. I mean, we always make a giggle that Chris McQuaid has to be in everything that's filmed in Tasmania. Now we've got Pamela Rae. But yeah, Tasmania is 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 the new hotspot to be making TV. Is this happening because of Screen Tasmania? Are they being aggressive in this market finally? Or, or what's your vibe about all of this stuff finally happening now in
1: Tasmania? Absolutely, uh, regarding Screen Taz and the Tasmanian government. I mean, they really got behind this show. When I went in and pitched um, that we wanted to shoot on the West Coast, they sort of looked at me in shock and I said, you know, there's massive breakage with that, you know, to put an entire 150 cast and crew on the West Coast for 16 weeks. And they created a regional grant in a heartbeat. That was the Minister for the Arts, Elise Archer, who here, in Tassie, who's so committed to this place and exactly exporting the Tassie brand. And I was saying, this is the best way to put the West Coast on the map. I mean, not only will all Australians see it because it's free to air ABC. So everyone has the right and, you know, what, no matter whether they have money or not. And, um, and also it'll sell all around the world. So they got behind us in in such an extraordinary way. And that that pushed everyone else into believing that we could shoot it on the west coast of Tassie and invest that type of money. I mean, we had um, the mayor of Queenstown, different mayor, because there's mayors in these beautiful places. Um, and he ended up coming down to the screening I had for the premier and uh, the minister for the arts to explain to them the impact that shooting this had in Queenstown. He said there are people who never, we had identified as never getting a job, never wanting to work, who got a job on Bay of Fires and now work because they love it and they understand it gives them freedom and agency and and dignity. Uh, So the emotional well-being that happened because we based ourselves in Queenie and ironically, Andrew, we are having a screening of Bay of Fires at the Paragon in Queenstown <laughs> this Friday. Wow. They've sold over 200 tickets. And then we're having a screening at the Gaiety and Xeon. <laughs> and they've sold over 220 tickets.
2: Fantastic. So,
1: I mean, both communities were our extras, they worked on construction with us, or they were drivers, or they were location managers, or and we just brought them in and we just nurtured and upskilled them. And my hope, dream, is we can go back again, turn up again, because consistency gives those people the belief that they can do it. They can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. So, my commitment is to Tasmanians and giving them an industry here so they can keep working. And yes, that's happening. And that's that is something I go in and constantly lobby for with the Tasmanian government. That if you feed the screen industry here, you can be the next Gold Coast.
0: Mm. Marta, look, we're nearly out of time. And if you've got a couple more minutes, I wouldn't mind. I've got a couple of things I'd I'd mm. like to quickly cover with you. Is that okay? Well
1: Yes. Can Look, you hear thing- that drilling now? No. Okay, great. I'll let it go. <laughs>
0: That's great. <laughs> Look, Andrew talked to you about Tassie. I'm interested in that too. And you, you mentioned before you you might have been a bit reluctant initially to, to relocate down there. Um, as someone I'm asking for myself, I guess, as well as other people who are It was embedded in a capital city. I know Andrew's in regional Australia too up in Newcastle, but I often dream about, you know, getting out and going somewhere else. Um, Tell us a little bit about the experience and how you found it.
1: I think at first it was, yeah, like I said, quite confusing for me because I couldn't settle. Um, But now I love this place so much and the show really is a love letter to this place. And that was um, part of my drive to share this extraordinary space with people. And I don't know many people would go to the West except for Andrew. (laughs) Um, and, And it really has a lot to give back. This place is a natural wonderland. I've got a friend with me now from Sydney who's staying for a few days. And she keeps saying to me, Ma, I can breathe. It's... You know, it's so calming and nurturing. It's not that cold. And on the West Coast, it didn't rain that much. <laughs> and um, by the way, Andrew Knight now owns a property here in Tasmania. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure he needs everyone to know that. But, uh, <laughs> but the secret is it gets under your skin and it becomes a refuge. And I think that's part of what I wanted to share with the audience that through, you know, here I was this city chick who came in and was all like, can we speed this conversation up? I just, I mean, I need to obviously keep going. And then I realized, oh, a couple of things. If you don't stop and have the chat, you'll never find out where that secret location is where you might be able to go for a swim without you know, for other people, because <laughs> everywhere there's only about four other people. Um, and so you won't be part of the community and you won't benefit from community knowledge, but also you won't change and find find yourself. It sounds a little bit esoteric, but I I really, I really heard myself for the first time once I gave in and what, I, and I guess that's where Bay of Fires has come from listening to myself and not waiting for someone else to give me what I think I need next, but rather going out and, and trying to, and get it is the wrong word, but, but dream it, I suppose it's a dream space.
2: Well, I just want to say in conclusion, I've watched the first three episodes of Bay of Fires. I would have watched more, but there were no more on the ABC website. I really love it. And I say this is someone that has been a bit critical of the fact that we're making a lot of shows, a lot of Australian shows set in small towns, but Bay of Fires, you have avoided the cliches. This show zigzags in so many directions. It's like, what's going on now? So it really, really held my attention. So thank you. It's great. I can't wait to see uh what happens in the second half
1: thanks andrew thanks so much
0: and my final one is i've got to talking to you as a producer again now you you mentioned you were on an overseas road trip to to help maybe sell sell in the the idea to other buyers how critical in that because we're seeing um, the business models tra- changing pretty dramatically and we won't get into that in too much detail but but international co-productions are, are really important now international money is often critical how much does it does it play into your business model for this series
1: a lot yeah i think i mean there was a healthy um, rest of world uh pick up and right now as we know the international market is in flux But we believe that it'll settle and the green shoots will come up. And I think there's nothing like turning up to meetings and pitching it in. So I went and pitched it in to Fremantle International, who are our international distributor. Um, And we've had a couple of sales. Everyone's poised to see it launch. Numbers are important. And so audience has a massive say in what goes again. Still, and they need hopefully to understand that. So if people don't tune in on Sunday, uh, Sunday week, then we're, you know, we might be in a bit of trouble. And I do think that we, we probably need to, when we can finance at home, because then we get full curation around what our stories are and how we place them. But at the same time, we need budgets are going up. And the only way to keep up with that is to um, have international money. So I think there's lots of different models, and each each has its own advantages and disadvantages. But I stay true to creatives, and I think without them, we're nothing. That's why there's a writers' strike in the U.S. because they mm-hmm. understand without them being nurtured and cared for and acknowledged, um, we don't have all of our all of our choices so i'm just delighted to have had the honor and privilege to work with andrew and max on this give them full creative freedom push them you know in the way a way that i can not as a writer but as an ideas person and really we kept everyone else out of it so i hope uh james that we've done the job of of telling an australian story for australians
0: Fantastic. Look, um, Martha Dusseldorp, it's been great having you on the show. We are both very excited and it's been wonderful hearing you explain Bay of Fires. Your character is Annika Van Cleef, who quickly has to adopt a pseudonym (laughs) and becomes better known as Stella in the series. And that's another one of the little twists that um, will keep people interested. Thanks again and all the best for the um, premiere.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much.